The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I am Emily Swallow, also known as the Armorer on The Mandalorian. And I'm just giving a little shout out to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast because this is the way. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 165. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi everyone, I'm Angela Ciolana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books to TV shows and more, we are looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. Today we're diving into the third and fourth episodes of Star Wars Visions Season 2. These are entitled In the Stars and... I am your mother. <laughs> and our crew today consists of, first of all, the Padawan, Josh Beagley. Hi, Josh. Hello, hello. And we have the artist herself, Catherine Laffrey. Hi, Catherine. Hello. <laughs> uh, I, should I say, should I introduce you as the mother this time? <laughs> oh, I am the mother this time for sure. <laughs> I tried to promise my girls I wouldn't embarrass them, but it's going to happen. <laughs> Well, we'll see about that. So <laughs> um, before we dive in, we would like to take a brief moment to recognize and thank our heroes are maybe some of you are mothers out there. Um, we have the people who make this podcast possible, our patrons. Thank you very much to all of you, including and especially this week, Deborah F, Hayden S, Amanda H, Dave G and Franklin P. And if you want to help StarQuest continue our mission, please consider becoming a patron like them at sqpn.com slash give. All right. Well, to start off, let's talk about In the Stars. So um, if you're like, oh, my gosh, which one is that? I'll give you the official summary here. Two sisters who are the last of their kind fight for survival when Imperial forces discover them. So I thought this was a really cool story, animation style. And honestly, shed a few tears myself. <laughs> so what were your first impressions? I'll start with Josh here first. It reminded me of like a Star Wars version of Avatar. Mm, not, not, yeah. not, not the Dave Filoni Avatar, like the Disney uh, water people, tree people Avatar. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of when you said Avatar. So. Okay, <laughs> well, I know Catherine likes the other Avatar. So. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. <laughs> But yeah, it was a lot of this, I I guess, I don't say idea, but like a lot of a connection to nature and specifically like how they sort of stayed connected with their ancestors through some sort of like after, not afterlife, but like physical representation from nature where it just reminded me so much of how they did that. And as I was watching the new Avatar last night, it just sort of kept going through my mind that that's how it was. Yeah. What about you, Catherine? I love the animation in this. I kept, you know, it took me a couple watchings to stop watching the animation because it was so beautiful. <laughs> and to like really get into the story, which I love the story. And uh, kind of had a Lilo and Stitch meets Moana kind of feel for me. Um, actually, and it took me all the way back to writing my first ever book when I was in fourth grade because I had uh, the main character going hunting to get his adult name and when he killed an animal the eyes became the stars so cool. <laughs> so it's like in learning about where the stars came from so it kind of made me flash back to my fun little drawings there that's awesome well um in the stars is a stop motion animation work by punk rock or excuse me punk robot studio based in the country of chile and at Star Wars Celebration, they had this really cool panel um, about uh, Star Wars Vision Season 2. 
Um, and I don't recall if it was there or in another interview, but I know that it was tied to Star Wars Celebration that the director of this episode, Gabriel Osorio, spoke about how the story was inspired by an, a true story that is known by the people who live in Tierra del Fuego, which is translated as Land of Fire, or you may know it as Patagonia. Um, that's like the bottom tip of South America, if you need a geography refresher there. <laughs> and he said that um, it was inspired by actually a very tragic, sad story of the real life genocide of a people called the Selknam, who uh, were murdered by colonists that uh, came into the end of the 19th century, early 20th century. And that event, unfortunately, sadly, is still very little known to people outside of that region. So he said, I felt a big responsibility to tell a story that reflected on the resistance and on the resilience and all the injustice that the original nations of Patagonia have to endure. So um, I was really um, struck by that, that um, they were using this episode to to tell a story about families, about local history so that they aren't lost. And I know that we've talked about that on previous episodes of our podcast. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, especially Catherine being an artist, like about you know, how you thought that um, learning about this, you know, background um, or just in general, how Punk ro Robot really felt that responsibility with their art and in that responsibility of artists also to use their art for, for causes like that. I thought they did an incredible job because the story was so beautifully done that you didn't have to know the background to enjoy it. So they gave it a good universal appeal. So there was a human story element that we all can relate to. And then to have go and watch the behind the scenes footage that Disney has and to hear the story behind it and then to really, you know, dive deep into it, it just made it even more appealing. And just even the tying in the water, you know, not knowing about Chile's problem of, you know, no one having their own private access to their own water, which I find shocking to me. I have my own well, so I have my own water. So it's kind of strange to not have your own water. I thought, wow, that was shocking to hear about. But again, just the universal appeal of the story. They made a beautiful story. And it's a lot like Catholic sacred art in a way. It has to have universal appeal across the board, so to speak. And I thought they hit this one out of the park it was amazingly done yeah um i think uh with one of the quotes that really struck me in the script was koten said to tachina without the starlight the paint will fade away and it kind of reminded me of how in our art and our creations if we don't infuse it with that sense of um, the spark of the divine, you know, the um, the gift that we've been given. Um, in this case, that spark is represented by starlight. Um, but without that, you know, the paint will fade away. the The ultimate meaning that we infuse into art will, you know, fade away because really, like, is it art? <laughs> you know. Um, we have to infuse those truths that have been passed on to us by our ancestors and by our faith traditions, you know, and, and, and all the things that are important as human beings, you know, that's, that's really what we express, right, in, in art. So he also noted in an interview on a podcast called Triad of the Force, which I shared with um, Josh and Catherine as we were getting ready for this, uh, about the water situation in Chile, that it's privatized. Um, water is owned by international companies and it's not free, it's not public. So that was a major inspiration for why the empire and the story took control of the planet's water. Um, I was wondering what you guys also thought, you know, like you said, Catherine, not knowing about that background, 
what did it mean for you to watch the story unfold and and see that water was being commodified? Like, what did you take away from that symbolism or meaning? I mean, water is essential for life. So to have that being taken away from them, and then it tied into like a lot of different Star Wars stories and books and things where they go to different planets and there's one essential thing they're trying to take. You know, there's a cropland somewhere or there's a mineral somewhere else. And they just swoop in and say, we need this and we're taking it. And everyone's forced to work for them and give it to them or pushed aside or eliminated it so that they can take it. Um, sadly, stuff like that still goes on today. And, you know, we're dealing with a crisis of farmland in our own state. So being taken away for mining rights and things like that. So it's a sad reality I think we all can relate to in some way. And I was really proud of them for making a, a really beautiful way of making the point. Um, for me, I'd say they excelled where for me, Andor didn't hit it. It's like Andor was doing kind of the same thing, but it was a little more direct, where this was a beautiful story that had depth. And so that's what was special to me. It had that mysticism still. It had Star Wars still and a bit more. Yeah. What about you, Josh? What um, what did you pull from maybe that sim- the symbolism in the, in the story? I feel like... Um at least the overarching symbolism that the empire is always this giant impressing thing makes it really nice for, you know, this small group from Chile to be able to share their story as well into such a larger community and raise its own awareness. Um, I'm not as much of a looking into symbols, uh, <laughs> That's the one thing I hated doing in English class. <laughs> um, but I, d- I just loved seeing the art and having their own traditions and trying to keep it alive, being like the last of their people and seeing that as something that they cherished most. Because it's also interesting to see that in the kids as well. I mean, they were very young and how they are able to see that as important in keeping who they are rather than just kind of fading it away and just becoming just like another person with no culture, no background to them. Yeah. Um, So I I do think that it was really cool to, um, to look at how they created the, the actual art. Um, what I found out about that is that they mainly used digital 3D and they made a mix of stop motion animation where they combined real backgrounds, real scale models, hand painted um, 3D scan models. And that helped to kind of add those kind of personal touches, uh, the handmade touches. And they also scanned images of greenery that's native to their region to use for the environment that you saw. Um, so Catherine, what, what stood out to you in terms of, you know, how they, how they captured the, the storytelling visually and, you know, um, what, I don't know if, how would you describe like the art style from, you know, your background? It was definitely, you know, pulling out the naturalism and I, I love the fact that uh, in the behind the scenes uh, story, they talked about going to, you know, these regions in Patagonia where you are literally in the middle of nowhere and you feel like you're not even on the same planet. It's, that's, I think, what's been really fascinating about Star Wars all along is just these unusual environments. And then to add in all the little details. I mean, this is one of those shows where it's like I stopped freeze the frame. I just wanted to see all the little grasses, the little shells and uh, watching the mushroom open and close with the starlight was really neat because that's that symbolism of light that you get in Star Wars. And uh, the hand painting. I mean, right away, I was like going, wait a minute, those are all over the place. So I went online and looked up. I wanted a map of where all hand art is. And it was almost like seeing a little chain across the continents. And to see that um, 
I think they say now on record, the oldest one is in Indonesia. And they believe that probably 25,000 years ago that there was definitely um, people going across the South Pacific back and forth, um, island by island, from New Zealand, Australia, Indonesia, all the way to South America. So it really made everything feel connected. And these, I guess, are some of the youngest images of uh, the hands in the cave art kind of thing. So it was it was just fun to see just like it's a global connection. And the hand is, I think it's a, a universal art. I mean, what kid hasn't traced their hand in class? Or, you know, there's always some art that involves the hand, you know, to know that it's hundreds and thousands of years old. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, I think I saw that the um, there's a UNESCO World Heritage Site in Chile that's called um, Cueva de las Manos, the the cave of the hands. And that, yeah, that was like, the, I mean, local to them, that's what they, you know, pulled from to be inspired by that art um, for, for the hand art in I, I thought it was cool, like how stars and light um, were related in the story to our ancestors, right? Um, those that come before us. Um, I also learned from watching more of that interview with the director that the Selknam people that were, um, uh, you know, murdered in, in the genocide, that um, they they see the stars that's part of their culture. They see that as directly connected to their ancestors. So, um, you know, as Catholics, we may not have exactly that understanding, but for me, it was kind of like a visual connection of the halo, you know, halos around the saints that um, my understanding is that it's meant to be almost like you're poking a hole into eternity and you're seeing the saint. Right. And it's just that gold glow, that golden glow of divinity that is kind of um, peeking through into our reality or however you want to say it. So that's kind of like a connection that I made. Especially at the end with all the stars, it was like that cloud of witnesses. It really felt yes. like all the saints are watching us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so what other themes or what other things really struck you about the story itself. Um, we've talked a lot about the art, but I know that'll be kind of like intertwined in, as we're talking about the story. So um, what did you guys think about the story and and um, what was very Star Wars to you? And was there anything that you felt was like new or um, or different or fun? Or what do you think, Josh? I, I, I like the story, but... Like before I even really heard about the whole director and his background on it, I saw it as just like just a big corporation taking over a small town and then just starting to dump its waste and there's a lot of pollution. And so I saw that more as like the main concern, I guess, coming up through it was this idea of just large companies then doing whatever without really any restraint. And it just causing harm to, you know, these local people. I don't remember where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> That's okay. That's a very valid point, too. <laughs> I don't know, it was also nice to just see, you know, two simple people. And I mean, this is sort of a common theme throughout Star Wars, too, of just a common folk, someone that we can relate to, being able to stand up against something like that to bring about a change. And make it better for the future yeah um Catherine what about you how did the story touch you I love the sister aspect of it and seeing the way that that dynamic played out um wasn't until like a recent watching that I realized that the little sister always had both of her eyes open so she's full view where the older sister always had half her face covered you know, her hair was in her face until the very end when she finally let her true self come forward and use the force. And so it was it was neat to see that the the younger sister always had full vision and full hope. So she was able to still see that beauty was important where her older sister was 
you know, shutting half of herself off to what was going on. And all she could do is think of survival instead of the full hope of overcoming. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, for me, I mean, definitely the the sister thing. Um, I'm an older sister. And so <laughs> I can testify that uh, sometimes the older sibling, especially older sister, we we tend to want to kind of like be that mother figure. I know we're going to talk about a mother figure in the next one, but um, just letting that responsibility sort of drag you down sometimes. And um, I loved how Tichina, the little sister, she believed so much in the, her mother had this spiritual power and she believed that she could have that power. Like she had no doubt. And, um, you know, Koten, the older sister is the one that's burdened with responsibility. Um, but ultimately she comes to see, as you were saying, Catherine, the belief that was powerful, you know, her, the little sister's belief wasn't just for nothing, that it was what moved the older sister to act on her faith. And, um, you know, children and younger people can really receive and pass on the power of faith in a, a powerful way, you know, really impactful way. Um, so, you know, the legacy of our ancestors, our, our parents, you know, um, the importance of, of young people. And um, I also picked up on how the, at the very beginning, when the little sister is using some of their last water to do the painting ritual, it reminded me of in scripture where St. Paul says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So in other words, physical survival isn't the ultimate good, right? Like there's this faith aspect, this belief aspect, the the rituals of our beliefs that help us to kind of keep going, you know? And so where would the older sister be without the younger sister to, you know, keep them going in, in their struggle, right? I love that the younger sister was like, I know mama's there, even through the smoke. You know, she had that true hope in believing in that which she could not see. And I thought that was just, she was the perfect example of hope. I feel like just the youngest child in general is seen as someone who has the most hope. You know, they're the most oblivious to what's going on around them where they can sort of just think like that and then like how that older sibling then has to step up and be the person to take care and make sure they're safe. Yeah. So it was awesome that, you know, um, to see that and to also, you know, the moment that the older sister, Koten, she, she starts to use the force and then you see Tachina's little hand next to her, you know, outstretched and doing that same motion that their mother did, you know, but almost seeing like that very simple gesture by both of them and knowing that one of them had the power of the force in a visible way and the other, I would say, had the power of the force like in an interior way, you know, like in that belief way. Um, that was really moving. I mean, it just moved me to tears to think about how there have been people in my life that have helped me to get to that point where I can pull certain things out of myself, you know, that, um, that, that I need to, to be able to make a change or to, um, you know, just fulfill my calling, my vocation. There was one other visual. I wonder if either of you caught the shape of their spiritual sacred remembrance stone and the shape of the Imperial factory. No. Do not remember what the factory looked like. <laughs> they were the same. So the stone had the two uprights and kind of like pyramided out. And same thing with the Imperial factory. At mm. one point in time, they kind of showed them like one right after the other. 
And at first I was confused by that going, why would the empire copy this stone if they just eliminated everybody? And then I was like, wait a minute, they didn't eliminate everybody right away. It almost feels like this was them like saying, we are greater than your ancestors. We came from the stars and we are greater than and almost like trying to to trump their remembrance stone and showing domination. I was like, wow, that's kind of like oppressive and sad and the opposite of what the church does. Um, if anybody gets the chance to listen to Father Mike Schmidt doing the Catechism a Year, so for today, June 14th, he talked about the integration and diversity of cultures within the Catholic faith. It's amazing. Highly recommend listening to it. I'm not even going to try to say what he said because I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, that that reminds me of a lot of things, but Thankfully, we are at that point now in the church where we can be more welcoming of people integrating their their culture into the practice of the faith, where unfortunately that hasn't always been the case. Um, and I think just from my own experience of uh, life and also studying history, I would say that um, it was the moments when the church aligned with the government <laughs> with the big empire that um that that wasn't really the case you know that um that cultural uh heritage was um you know really downtrodden so um one of the things you were saying though about the the shape of the um the sacredness and kind of showing that one is bigger than the other i thought about in jerusalem when um when you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the, the big, huge church that's built over the Tomb of Christ and Mount Calvary, um, we have that site because the Romans came and built their own shrine to their Roman gods over the site of uh, Mount Calvary and over the site of Christ's tomb because Christians would go to those places continuously and they they wanted to show that they were more powerful than you know this Jesus guy, <laughs> and um, then the cult, you know, the people that were following him. And so, um, thanks to them, we we know for sure that those are the two places, right? And so, um, that's one of the cool things that uh, I've learned through my my work, what I do in my ministry um, full time. So, yeah. That's cool. So I also wanted to talk about the music. Um, being native to uh, the, the Andes Mountains region, from what I understand, they, they used in the soundtrack a reed instrument called the cañas and a lute type of string instrument called charangos. Um, so that really, I think that really added to the the feeling of their culture as well to when you're watching it um anything else you guys wanted to mention about this one? Oh, the question i was wondering is does anyone think that the mother was trained as a jedi i wondered it's like does this did this culture have an understanding of the jedi in the same way ahsoka's culture did i saw it more as like the lasat kind of like grandmother if you remember from Rebels of just an older, wiser person who's in tune with the force through their own culture and where it's not seen as just, you know, like the Jedi way, it's seen as this larger aspect of life, which I think is better because, you know, whenever you look at all of the movies, you see the force as this power that you can use. But it's a larger aspect, and I think Visions did a good job of showing it as that. It did remind me of one book where they talked about um, Luke had to bail out of his X-Wing rather high up, and so he had to use the Force to kind of parachute down. Didn't land very well, but when he was on the ground, he had 
of he could see the force coming out of all living things to him as like these little points of light to help him heal. And it made me think about that, seeing the little mushrooms and their little twinkle mm-hmm. with the light and everything like that. So yeah, it had that kind of natural feel of the force. Yeah, I don't know. I, I tend to agree with with Josh's sort of um, interpretation and, um, you know, what, whatever training or, or not that she had, like, as far as the Jedi were concerned, um, maybe she was kind of like a, like a medicine woman would be in an indigenous tribe, you know, um, somebody who was recognized as like really important and, um, or maybe, you know, just that was use, use of the force was more common in, in their people. Who knows? You know, it's kind of cool to think about. Okay. Well, are we ready to move on to I Am Your Mother? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this one is maybe a little more fun. <laughs> um, it, this is... Uh, I'm Your Mother, which is uh, Ardman Animations, um, the British studio that's known for Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit, Shaun the Sheep. And um, so basically, <laughs> Annie, the the pilot in school, is uh, embarrassed of her mother <laughs> um, when, as she's going to Flight Academy and they're having a family race, doesn't tell her mom. and you know, as we can see, they end up winning, but uh, ultimately they win in their hearts. So, <laughs> um, Josh, what was your first impression of I'm Your Mother? I don't know. So <laughs> you you see a lot of the different aspects of parenting and how you may see it as a parent versus how the child sees it. And... I I see that as sort of like the main, that was the main thing I got out of it was parents may see it as, oh, I'm trying to do what I can to do my best for you. But in actuality, it's not good for the child and it's hurting them, but you don't know that. And it takes, you know, some crazy race and near-death experience to, (laughs) to have that moment of bonding. Catherine? Did you have an embarrassing near-death experience with your mom once, Josh? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for that part. <laughs> I loved seeing Wallace and Gromit style mm-hmm. Star Wars. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite animation studios. I have loved their work since it first came out. And then the whole time I was like, why does this story remind me of something else? And it took me a little while and another watching. Does anybody remember? Josh, please tell me you watched on PBS Arthur. No? Yeah. <laughs> Last time I remembered watching like any sort of Wallace and Gromit thing was whenever I was like really, really young. And until like um, you just mentioned it, it was like I haven't heard that in years. <laughs> <laughs> but what about Arthur on PBS? It was a cartoon. I think it was like oh a my mouse gosh. or something. Arthur the he was. And yeah. he had a bunny rabbit friend and mm-hmm. Buster. So one of the that, characters. Now you're really bringing memories back. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm going old school on this one. And my girls are going to laugh at me, I'm sure. We used to always watch this. And one of the characters was Francine. And her yes. dad was a garbage man. And there was bring your parent to work day for careers. And she was so embarrassed to find, like, that anyone would find out that her dad was a garbage man. And so it's like, oh, my gosh, this is reminding me so much of that storyline, just the whole embarrassment of it all. And what was really funny is at the end of that episode, her dad talked about, oh, someday I'll be the garbage man in space. When we go to Mars, everybody's like, oh, ah. So, again, you get the garbage man in space thing. But it was just so cute just to see this tie in of nostalgia from when my daughters were really little <laughs> and knowing that I have embarrassed them many, many times. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I don't know if I've just been like in a mood, but I, I cried at the end of this one too. So good job, Star Wars Visions. You're really packing the punch there. 
Um, but yeah, I overall, my impression was that it was fun. Um, it really had that sense of humor that you would expect from the studio. And it was also, it had a tenderness to it um, in terms of the, the relationship between Annie and her mom. Um, but there, there were a lot of Easter eggs and that was part of the fun of this one. So I don't know how many Easter eggs you guys caught, but a lot of times you had to almost like pause it and look in the background of the scenes. <laughs> so, There's so many I'm, layers. <laughs> I'm kind of curious what you guys ended up spotting in, in this episode. <laughs> Jump right in. Josh, what do you got? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't really looking for Easter eggs when I watched it. Um, I was more so watching visions just for the stories. Yeah. Not not really much of looking into, you know, Easter eggs and old references. Mm-hmm. It was it was just me trying to appreciate the different art styles and different change of pace. I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think well, probably all of us caught Wedge Antilles. Right? Yeah. I mean he was yeah. right out there in the front. And actually Dennis Lawson came back. To voice Wedge, which is kind of cool. Nice. Um, Catherine, what did you catch anything? One thing that stuck out with me, and I was like, why does this ship look so familiar? But I was thrown off by the fact that it was now black and red. And the uh the obnoxious, what were they called? The Vaughn whatever's uh, yeah. <laughs> their ship was like an e- evil uh Nubian racer. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, I was like, oh, so they must have hung out with uh, Palpatine's country club gang. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and their little like Darth Vader helmet hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved seeing on Annie's backpack, I think she had like what looked like a little R2-D2 keychain. Oh, wow. I didn't notice that. That's so cool. Um, did you guys notice she had a Max Rebo stuffed animal in her bed? <laughs> yes. I did. <laughs> um, and then when her mom was working, um, the the visor that she had was like a Mandalorian style. A Mandalorian welding helmet. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. That was very appropriate as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and then some of the other ones that I caught were, like, I think when they're at the the race, there's basically like a festival in the background and there's some kind of fruit and I want to say it's Melu runs from Rebels but I'm not 100% yeah, sure probably <laughs> um and then they had like I think a gaffy stick in the background there was some kid like carrying a balloon with a porg on it <laughs> <laughs> um the like antagonist student she was um, when she was talking and kind of making fun of of Annie's mom and, and their house, or their ship, um, she was in this tent and the tent was like this guy selling wood carvings of like porgs and banthas. <laughs> and then she's talking about like, you know, their ship being a porta potty. But when she's saying that, there's literally three porta potties in the background. There's a tall one for Wookiees. <laughs> There's a regular like humanoid one, and then there's like this little short one for Jawas. <laughs> oh, so I'm gonna have to yeah. watch this one over and over again just for all that fun stuff. Yeah, and um, and the, I did see online a couple of cool things too. If you look at her posters in her room, there's one of Harrison Dula, and that was very intentional, apparently. Um, and then there's also one of the band from Vision Season 1, if you remember that, there was this band called Star Waver. So they have they have a poster of Star Waver. They have a poster of um, Wedge Antilles. And then um, one of the, just as a last one, I'm, there's a lot more, but as a last really cool one. So I read um, an interview with the director and the writer, um, and she said that, they wanted to close the loop on how Maz Kanata got Luke's old lightsaber. <laughs> and so there's this scene 
it's just like in the background, it's like passing, but there's this store with objects touched by Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. and it has his <laughs> hand in there <laughs> and it has the lightsaber that he lost. And if you look closely, you can actually see Maz's hand like reaching up to steal it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I got to watch this again. <laughs> I that one. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So there's like a bunch of really cool, fun stuff in here. Um, is there anything like, I know we're, this art style is very, um, it's very identifiable. It's very characteristic of uh, Ardman animations. But I mean, is there anything about that art style that, is there a reason why it says fun to us? Like why it just sort of telegraphs that to us off of the screen? Because I think that's just goes with their style of writing and creating these stories. So I have to ask you, Catherine, like, what is it about that? The, The way that they make the art like and the way that it looks how how is it <laughs> that it just tells us that it's fun it feels like to me it's um just everything's exaggerated so you, it's it's like as if a child could actually make their toys come to life you know it's like the way kids play with their toys everything's exaggerated and i i feel like that's what it is it just takes you to childhood everything's just a little crazy the way their mouths move is just hyper exaggerated and you just I don't know. Everything about it just has some fun, smooth, crazy line to it. It's just, yeah, I just, yeah, I fall in love with it every time I see it. <laughs> I want those toys. I'm sorry. <laughs> Give me action figures of all of this. <laughs> totally. Josh, what do you think about the visuals? Like, um, was there anything that really stood out to you from from the art and the visual part of it? I love the... It wasn't like entirely stop animation, but like the physical, like the more physical looking models, if that makes sense, is what I've loved about it. It's it seems like it's just like one of those old stop animation movies, basically that you would watch, and it does remind me of something like Wallace and Gromit. Now that I actually remember the name of the show, <laughs> um, but it it just reminds me a lot of those funny cart- cartoonish ones that I used to watch a long time ago and it just brings you back to like again like those just happier times whenever you could sit and watch those things it's very Star Wars isn't it mm-hmm. I mean George Lucas wanted to make Star Wars for kids he he was inspired by you know Saturday morning cartoon type of thing and um and also just did a lot of things practically um, so going back to the writer and director, she's actually Polish born, um, and she moved to the UK and, uh, her name is Magdalena Osinska. I hope I said that correctly. Um, <laughs> she is a mother herself and apparently the droid Z1 is based on her old pet, which she described as a, a sausage dog. So that makes <laughs> total sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that droid. Yeah, oh it was gosh. so cool, huh? Like a sleeky, the retractable right? cord. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she based the characters on her own mother and herself in the role of being a daughter as well as the role of being a mom. Um, so got to ask, you know, what did you think of their take on um, taking that line that everyone seems to remember? No, I am your father, which actually, does he say that? Like, oh, he it doesn't says, say, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father, right? right. Yeah, I am your father. Yes. So, yeah. So, so what did you think of them kind of put, putting it on its head and, and making this um, story about mothers and daughters? Very relatable for me, both up and down generations. My mom was notorious for being the silly mom in the neighborhood. And when kids came over to the house, sometimes she would just... Put peanut butter on their nose. Why not? You know, <laughs> or she'd uh, say, okay, you can have a treat, but what does Santa Claus say? And when my friend said, Merry Christmas, and she goes, well, you can't have a ho-ho then. So, <laughs> it's just goofy stuff like that. And then for me with my daughters, um, yeah, I have always been a goofy mom myself. Obviously having a goofy mother helped with that. 
But uh, I have done the, hey, you forgot your lunch. And for my second oldest daughter, she forgot something almost every day her senior year in high school. I did not go screaming into the school <laughs> for her, but <laughs> it became kind of fun and actually miss kind of that stuff now. Um, and then uh, my youngest daughter, as soon as uh, she was probably in middle school, was like, Mom, do not ever sing or dance again. <laughs> Even if you're in the car waiting to pick me up, please do not sing. It's like, but I love singing. She's like, it's embarrassing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my poor oldest daughter, I had her on the hook for years telling her that there's a mother's handbook, which is why I have to embarrass her. And when she's 15, I have to do this. And when she's 16, <laughs> I have to do that. And she's like, there's no such thing as a mother handbook. We went to a Catholic women's conference. On the table of books, there was actually one that was called the Mother's Handbook, and we lost it laughing hysterically. It's like, oh, my gosh, there really is one. That's hilarious. So, yeah, sorry, girls, I'll embarrass you again, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I, I'm really curious what Josh pulled away from the story and <laughs> um, not being a mother or daughter, but certainly having had a mother. <laughs> yeah. Um I don't know. It was weird because I could relate to both of the children with each of their parents and how they were treated. You know, you could see it as both at times, you know, your mom can be this fun, outgoing person, but then she can also be this person who's on your butt about everything and making sure that <laughs> you are going to be like the best person you can. They both still want like the same end goal for you. But it was interesting to just see myself in their shoes and just bouncing back and forth. And obviously they got the resolution, but I mean, not everybody does. And I mean, that's part of the sad part about also some kids today is, you know, they don't get that end happy ending. And there are plenty of plenty of kids that I've even had to meet and talk to who don't get the chance to have, you know, happy parents and they have to figure it all out on their own. Mm. But it isn't the worst thing to have parents like that, but it's also not the best. But, you know, you make the best of your situation and, you know, at the end of the day, you do what's best to get you to that finish line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. That's that's so true. And I'm glad you brought that up, Josh, because that definitely was not a part of my um, interpret my initial interpretation. But um, that's definitely. Yeah, that's uh, I, I guess you could say that this story does show the power of a parent. Right. Like the power that an impact that a parent can have on their children. Um, and for me, that. I mentioned I mentioned that I was teary eyed at the end because of how um, ultimately the things that uh, may embarrass us about our parents. Actually, we as we get older, we may end up adopting those um, whatever, you know, <laughs> behavioral quirks or whatever it is um, and becoming more like our parents. Um, I thought it was really awesome that Annie ended up winning the race with the Ryloth role <laughs> that she learned <laughs> from her mom and that her mom believed in her. Um, uh, and that was, you know, that was something that they had had a connection that they had had from a very early um, age in, in Annie's life. So uh, just how awesome that parents really can be for their, their children and, and what we learn from our parents. Um, for for better or for worse, but also sometimes just for weird. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's those are some of the things that that I pulled away. Any anything else you guys want to talk about with I'm your mother? Well, I'm definitely watching it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! More attention to the background. <laughs> There's so much. It would be a great series. I would just love to see them do like a 10 episode arc with that style would be so much fun yeah like a like a tales of the jedi version of these star wars visions where you could like get a little bit more about each character 
Yeah, that would be so fun. And honestly, like I think this one or both of these that we talked about today, I would love to see more stories in those styles and with those characters. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we we definitely uh, had some some fun with these episodes, some interesting thoughts. We want to know what all of you thought about these episodes. Send us your feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear your interpretations, the themes you pulled away, anything else you have to say about um, the art styles. Uh, so send us your feedback. Any question or comment about Star Wars is also welcome. And if you're interested in joining over 750 other fans of this show and other StarQuest shows in our online community, just go to sqpn.com discord to join us on our discord server. Um, or if you prefer to be a little more old school, quote unquote, you can email us <laughs> starwars at sqpn.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media and leave a comment uh, there. You can also tweet us at sqpn. And don't miss our continued deep dive of Star Wars Visions as we continue to take a look at season two uh, Star Wars stories from these awesome animation studios around the world, you can subscribe to Secrets of Star Wars in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or find us on the SQPN YouTube channel. And if you want to find our previous episodes on the web, you can go to sqpn.com slash Star Wars. Well, until next time, Josh Beagley. Thank you for joining our crew today. Always happy to join. And Catherine Laffrey, thank you so much for being the resident mom on the panel today. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was great. And once again, I'm the one in the middle, the Bendu, Angela Cialana. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. PlayStation Portable. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at starquest.fm slash PSP.